Happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome back to Unbothered. Your host, Josh, here. And today, I'm already going to be looking ahead to next year's draft and why one team specifically really stands out. And then culminating culminating with that draft, I'm going to give my top six teams in college football post kind of the transfer portal now that's kind of over. Teams are in spring practice. There's first, you know, spring games already over. So we're in flux and we're less than three months out, uh, you know, from college football starting. So, yes, that is very, very exciting. Actually, I should rephrase that four months, less than four months out in college football starting. So that's exciting. And then I'll be getting into the NBA, last night's NBA games, Heat, Knicks, great Warriors, Lakers game, and then also looking towards tonight's 76ers, Celtics, Suns, Nuggets, both those in a game two. Who gets that crucial game five win? But to start off, let's start with the NFL and looking ahead to next year's draft. Now, why do I bring next year's draft up? Well, I bring it up for a particular one particular reason, and that's because I think the quarterback draft class next year is going to be very good. I think it's going to be much better than this year. Uh, this year we had three quarterbacks going the first round, and really the first three of the first four picks were quarterbacks. We had Bryce Young. C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis was a talked-about guy. He went beginning of the second round. I think there was like 11, 12, 13 quarterbacks draft. It was like the most ever for a draft. So there's a lot of depth. But next year, there's going to be a lot of stars. You have Caleb Williams, who I think is a better draft prospect than anybody being drafted this past year who just got drafted at quarterback. Drake May as well. I feel the same way about Drake May. Uh prototypical quarterback who can uh, run. I think he'll be better than any quarterback this past year. And then you got a couple wild cards I think will be drafted in the first round in Quinn Ewers from Texas, if he can stay healthy. And then J.J. McCarthy from Michigan, if he takes another step. But next year, one team what really controls the draft, and that is the Arizona Cardinals. Now, the Arizona Cardinals are going to be terrible next year. Why? Because... Kyler Murray will probably be out most of the year uh, with his ACL injury. So it's going to be Colt McCoy and backups the whole way. Uh, new system, older players. D-Hop is dealt with some injuries. The defense is not very good. This team is not very good. So I expect them to be high. And they also got the Houston Texans first-round draft pick uh, via trade they did with them in this year's NFL draft. And I don't think the Texans are going to be good as well, uh, considering, uh, yes, they have Trevor Lawrence and others in their division. But I thought they had a decent draft, uh, but I'm not sold yet on C.J. Stroud. So I think it'll be interesting for them next year. And that's why I say it's really interesting for the Cardinals, is because they could be in a position next year to draft Caleb Williams, quarterback out of USC, and Marvin Harrison, wide receiver out of Ohio State. Now, the question is, and I've seen a lot of mock drafts, um, you know, projecting for 2024 uh, with both those happening. Um, and the Cardinals, a lot of mock drafts have them drafting Caleb Williams. But the question then becomes, and I'm surprised not a lot of people have asked this, is would you draft Caleb Williams and move off Kyler? Now, for me, 
uh, it's a no-brainer. Like, I would do that in a heartbeat. But the question is going to be Kyler and the money situation because they've given him a lot of power. To me, uh, I don't think the Cardinals are that intelligent of an organization. I could very much well see them having, like, the first overall pick next year and trading out of it because they have Kyler Murray, uh, you know, and at least getting Marvin Harrison, but not drafting Caleb Williams, and Caleb Williams turns out to be great. So if I'm the Cardinals, I'm drafting Caleb Williams. I'm moving off Kyler. Now, the thing is, Kyler is on track, I think, to make the second or third most guaranteed money. I forget if Lamar Jackson's deal has surpassed that or not. I don't believe so. I still believe Kyler is number two behind Deshaun Watson. He is getting a ton of guaranteed money off his deal. He is raking it in with his annual average salary cap hit. So I don't know how many teams would try to get him when, A, he's undersized, and B, this is my biggest problem with him, too many off-the-field issues, too much drama with Kyler Murray, too much noise surrounding him, and not a lot of it's positive. If it's positive noise I hear, that's fine, but usually noise of NFL drama, it's not a good thing. And it's not a good thing surrounding Kyler. It's not something you want surrounding your franchise quarterback, the most important player, most important position on your team, uh, the de facto leader. And Kyler is none of that. He's not a leader. Uh, he's just not that guy. Uh, I don't think he's that great of a quarterback. Uh, wasn't in my top 10 last week when I did my top 10 quarterback rankings. And I think, you know, when you overrate somebody, you usually overrate them based off their pay. Uh, that's how you say they're overrated, not by how many likes they get on Instagram or what it, what one of his tweets get. It's based on production, value, monetary value. And that's, to me, what it is. So when Aaron Rodgers got that, you know, three-year, $150 million deal, it was, Hey, guess what? He's won back-to-back MVPs. Uh, the money matches his production and value. I can't say he's overrated because he's won back-to-back MVPs. Uh, Lamar Jackson, I can sort of justify. He's won an MVP recently. He's a dynamic player. When healthy, he wins 75% of his games. When healthy, it's really the health. Jalen Hurts, I can make the case that, hey, he just went to the Super Bowl and outplayed Mahomes in the Super Bowl. If it wasn't for his fumble or the, you know, phantom holding call by James Bradbury, we'd be having a different conversation. Right now, he'd have a Super Bowl ring. I thought he was great. I think he's ascending. I think Again, I think Deshaun Watson is severely overpaid and overrated. And I think the same with Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray is in that same boat. Uh, I believe Caleb Williams uh, coming out of USC. Uh, you know, I'm not 100% sold on Caleb Williams. I'm not 100% sold on Lincoln Riley's track record with quarterbacks, uh, considering he had Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's been a bust, I'm sorry to say it. He had Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is teetering towards, you know, I don't know about Kyler being a franchise quarterback. And then you have uh, 
Jalen Hurts, but I am going to give more credit uh, to Alabama for Jalen Hurts and Nick Saban than I will do um, Lincoln Riley because Jalen Hurts was there in Alabama for four years. Majority of his time was with Nick Saban, winning national championships there, um, had great years. Um, I don't think he really improved a ton. With Lincoln Riley, he was just more in a different system. When he talks about his adversity and overcoming things, he makes mention of Alabama. I still feel like Alabama is his home college. Uh, so I will give that more to him. So that's the only thing with Caleb Williams. I don't know about the track record and his attitude. Uh, if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, I didn't like his attitude. Uh, kind of going into the um, Utah game, you know, for the – Pactual championship when he's painting his nails and making these statements about Utah. You know, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, so I'd like to see him dial it down and be a better leader. Uh, less drama, less noise. I think if he can do that, he has the talent. People are comparing him to Mahomes. Again, I'm not sold on that. You know, anybody being like Mahomes right now. But uh, would I risk it to move off Kyler and draft Caleb Williams? I would. It's just what I would do. But they have a lot of controlling power in next year's draft. Staying on the same theme of college football, now that we're kind of done with spring uh, practice and transfer portals, I'm going to give my early preseason top six teams, the six teams, you know, if I had to pick right now to make the college football playoff, my first two out, and then my four in, uh, this is how I would do it. Uh, my number four would be the Florida State Seminoles. Yes, I know. Uh, a lot of my people might think, what? Florida State? But I think very really good uh, you know, football team. Uh, last year they went 10-3. and three. And, you know, had a big win early against LSU. Uh, you know, had a three-game stretch of losses to Wake Forest, and Wake Forest was phenomenal last year. North Carolina State lost by two, and Clemson lost by six, and I thought that was one they also could have won. So I think they're going to be much improved with Jordan Travis, who I think is a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate, who's great. I think Mike Norvell is a great uh, coach. They added some pieces from a transfer portal. Jaheim Bell and uh, Kintran Poitier. Uh, you know, Jared Verse is a star pass rusher. So they got pieces, but I think they're going to finish uh, six, even though they're really good. Uh, they have a tough slate of games, especially on the road. Uh, they play LSU in a neutral site to open. That's a big one. But then uh, to start off conference play, they play at Boston College, at Clemson, before October even starts. That's brutal. And then they finish the season uh, at Florida. So I think they'll trip up early. Maybe once or twice, I think they'll finish 10-2, and 11-2 regular season, at least from right now. Uh, I think they're a good team uh, with a lot of pieces. I just don't know if they're ready. Um, to get there yet. Number five, Alabama. 
Yep. I do have Alabama at number five. And, you know, this one's tough for me. The four or five was really tough, but I have them number five. Uh, considering the fact that they also are going to have a very tough schedule. They play Texas, who I think will be really good. Unfortunately, that's at home, but they play the Ole Miss as well. They play Tennessee. Who knows what happens there? Uh, LSU, they finish at Auburn. And then, of course, the SEC championship game will probably be against Georgia. So, that's tough not knowing who their quarterback's going to be with Bryce Young. Uh, leaving is also interesting. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson? Uh, when Bryce Young was kind of injured, neither of them I thought uh, looked great. They also brought in uh, Tyler uh, Buckner from Notre Dame. So we'll see how that plays. Again, great transfer portal, great class. Uh, but we'll see there. I have them at five. Number five, Ohio State Buckeyes, or number four, Ohio State Buckeyes. They're very similar to the Alabama situation. They lose C.J. Stroud, uh, their quarterback. However, I like the players that have returned, the J.T. Tuamoala, uh, their star defensive end, Marvin Harrison, is still there. So, again, the quarterback is going to be their biggest concern. And, again, tough slate. They'll play at Notre Dame this year. I thought Notre Dame sort of found themselves uh, in the last year, they play at Wisconsin. They play at Michigan to finish the season. I think that's brutal. Number three, I have the USC Trojans. The key is one player is returning, and his name is Caleb Williams. That's all you need to know. He's back, and that's the key. For them, I think he'll be able to make plays. I mean, they'll be lost Jordan Addison, uh, another good class transfer uh, portal people coming in. And you look at their schedule, it's not as daunting. Uh, their toughest game, I think, will be Notre Dame um, because it is in South Bend, Indiana. Again, that'll be a crazy environment. That'll, that, to me, is like the one game I might not even pencil and I'll like pin it in that they'll lose. Uh, you know... Had it tough against Notre Dame last year. I think they'll lose to Notre Dame this year. Uh, Utah, they play Utah at home uh, in USC, so it won't be as tough uh, for them. Dalton Kincaid gone. Uh, so I think they'll avenge their two losses from this past year. They play at Oregon. Again, that'll be tough. And then UCLA to finish off, we'll see if they can replicate the success from last year. But that's who I have number three. Number two, Michigan Wolverines. Uh, or again, out of the top six who I just named, outside of Florida State, they're the one returning their quarterback, J.J. McCarthy. They returned two top five running backs in Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. They got pieces, offensive line, transfer portal has been great, defensive line, uh, good recruiting class. Uh, very easy slate, uh, you know, to start off with. And, you know, teams will play who knows about them. Uh, they play Ohio State at home. Michigan State is in Michigan State, but it's still in-state. Uh, and then Penn State will, I think, be their toughest one at Penn State. Uh, but this is another 12-0 team I can see. 
And then number one is Georgia. Uh, they just replenish, replenish, replenish. And they, again, they got an easy schedule. Yes, they have to replace star defensive players or quarterback. Uh, but with their bill on defense, running the football, Kirby Smart, I believe uh, Georgia can do it. Uh, you look at early in the game, South Carolina had a lot of momentum at the end of last year. I think that'll carry over. Unfortunately for South Carolina, they're playing at Georgia. That'll be tough. Uh, Georgia plays at Auburn. That could be a tough game, and they'll play at Tennessee. But again, who knows with Tennessee, no Hendon Hooker, Jalen Hyatt, what that offense will look like next year. So those are my top six teams uh, for college football right now. They'll be updated before the season started, but this is just a sneak peek at how I'm looking at things right now. It's Florida State, Alabama on the outside looking in. Then my potential matchups would be a rematch of last year's uh, first-round semifinal game, Ohio State-Georgia, Ohio State 4, Georgia 1. And then a potential Rose Bowl matchup of the Big Ten Pac-12 powerhouse USC-Michigan. Uh, I think that would be a fantastic playoff. Sorry, TC, you don't see you sneaking in. Now let's move on to the NBA. And let's start with the Heat Knicks. The Heat pushed the Knicks to the brink of elimination last night, winning 109 to 101, taking a commanding 3-1 series lead. Uh, was good back and forth, but uh, the Heat really never relinquished the lead, even though the Knicks could get it down. Uh, Jimmy Butler has just been fantastic. To me, he's been the MVP of the playoffs. A lot of people have been saying Devin Booker has been, and Devin Booker offensively has been great. I will give him that. Uh, offensively, I'll say he's been the best the best player, offensive defense, in the road uh, to where they've got him now. It's been Jimmy Butler. He's led their team in points. He's Every game, he's been their uh, leading point scorer. Uh, he had to win a crucial play-in matchup to get the eight spot. They beat the Bucks in five. They'll probably beat the Knicks in five. Again, he had 27 points last night, 10 assists, six rebounds. Uh, he was just great. Um, Gamon Abayo, 23 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, they are beating the Knicks on the boards. Um, you know, not even fair uh, for them on the boards. Uh, I think Jalen Brunson's been fine, 32 points, uh, 10 for 21 shooting. I thought he was fine. I thought uh, R.J. Barrett, his 24 points, Julius Randle's 20 points, but defensively, uh, and then on the boards as well. And they've not been as good as they were in the regular season. They kind of dipped. Uh, the Heat out-rebounded them by nine. Uh, five of those were offensive rebounds. That's not something uh, you want to live with, and that's kind of where this game was decided. Both teams shot about 33% from three, like 47, 48% from a field. Uh, both teams were making plays. Uh, but really, to me, it comes down to those second chance points, those offensive rebounds. And that goes to the Miami Heat. Uh, you can tell they want it more. You can tell Eric Folstra, coach of the Heat, is phenomenal. Gets them ready, makes terrific in game adjustments. And the Miami Heat, for the second year in a row, are going to be going to the Eastern Conference Finals. And for the third time 
in fourth years, they'll be going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, so, very good. I kind of wrote Miami off. But Miami has just been fantastic at this game during the stretch. Jimmy Butler, again, MVP of the playoffs, um, battling Giannis and Jalen Brunson and these teams. It's just been, it's been phenomenal. And the other game last night, touch on is the Warriors, Lakers, Lakers as well. Both teams that won last night took a 3-1 series lead. And this one was entertaining. This was a great second round game. These games, uh, especially the first one and this, this past one, the closer ones have just been fantastic. Uh, a lot of credit to Steph Curry yesterday who had a triple-double, 31 points, 14 assists, 10 rebounds. He did his thing very good. He was efficient. Uh, I shouldn't say he was efficient shooting, but his passes, again, those were things of beauty of the feeds. He was able to find uh, to Wiggins a few times, to Draymond, uh, to Gary Payton in the pick-and-roll, operated masterfully. Uh, but again, the shooting efficiency wasn't there. 12 for 33 or 14. He missed a few easy layups where it was just him at the rim. And I thought, oh, that's going in. And it's rimmed out. And I thought, the Lakers catch a break there. But even though how great he was uh, down the stretch, that final minute uh, kind of unraveled for the Warriors who were up most of the game. Clay Thompson had the late three there at the end. But the Lakers won this game because AD was dominant on the defensive end. LeBron led their team in points. Austin Reeves finally decided to wake up from his offensive shooting slump and go for 21, even though D'Lo disappeared. I'm glad him and you know Jordan Poole kind of canceled each other out because D'Lo was terrible. And then uh, the player of the game, which was you know LeBron praised up. Uh, Great to see that moment was Lonnie Walker the fourth. Uh, terrific coming off a bench in the fourth quarter, scoring 15 points. 15 points in the fourth quarter. Six for nine again in the fourth quarter. Uh, made a three-pointer, made both his free throws. And Lonnie Walker was terrific in that fourth quarter. He was the reason why they won that game last night. Uh, not have been with this 3-1 lead if not for Lonnie Walker. I mean, it was just great. And then Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole was terrible. Uh, could only play 10 minutes. Didn't make a shot. 0 for 4. 0 for 2 from 3. Again, 0 points. And again, with those 10 minutes, he's becoming unplayable. You, you just can't start him anymore. You can't play him, actually. Gary Payton has got him a starting nod over him. Jermichael Green. Kevon Looney. Even Dante DiVincenzo. Moses Moody gets more minutes than... Jordan Poole now. It's interesting because he was supposed to be a reliable third member of the Splash Rose, the Splash Triplets or Splash whatever they wanted to call it. And he's disappeared. Clay Thompson, uh, the defense on Clay I thought was great, uh, fighting through screens uh, to contest his shots. He was 3 for 11. All three of his makes were from 3, 3 for 9, only finished with 9 points. Uh, he jacked up a terrible shot there at the end. Uh, it was bad. And the other thing I want to point out, which was bad as well, is Steve Kerr, who I think is a great coach, not calling a timeout 
late in that game, uh, you know, when they Draymond was kind of getting a lockdown and he had the air passed, and then when Steph had the ball in his hands there before he just threw the ball like a bouquet of flowers over his head in some sort of wedding, uh, more like the funeral for his dynasty. Uh, and I just don't know what it is with coaches leaving timeouts in their back pockets. We saw it with the Bucks. Uh, when they got beat by the Heat in the first round, uh, Mike Goodenholder said, you know, he wishes he would have called timeout because they had six seconds. They called timeout. They advanced the ball. Maybe the outcome of that game series is a little differently if they call timeout. Joe Mazzulla said the same thing the other day. Head coach for the Celtics said in hindsight he wishes he would have called a timeout, advanced the floor, maybe get an extra possession or two. It's a big deal. They give you these timeouts for a reason. You might as well use them and not take them uh, to the end with you. Uh, so I don't get it. These coaches not calling timeouts. If I was Steve Kerr, I would have called uh, more timeouts in that stretch under those final two minutes. And he didn't do it. But now the Warriors are down 3-1. I think the series is over. I think the Lakers will win in five or six. Probably six. Uh, but... Players from each side have been here before. Uh, LeBron has been up 3-1 multiple times since he's closed the deal. Uh, he's been down 3-1 and has come back, but so have the Warriors. Uh, the core here, the Steve Kerr, Draymond, Steph, and Clay, they've been down 3-1 once, and it was to the Thunder in 2016, and they came back and won that series. Uh, you know, it was terrific. That yeah, was, again... A different team that was like defensive player of the year, Draymond, and prime Clay and MVP Steph. So again, uh, it'll be much tougher for them, but it's not officially over. But again, I think it's over. Uh, you know, but more you are talking about the history is there. It's just time for the Lakers to close this thing out. They got to close it out. And the other thing I want to talk about is Steph. Uh, you know, listening to sports media. Everybody wants to give Steph a pass. They want to give him a pass and say, you know, he's not getting enough help and his teammates have been disappearing on him. Uh, they want to make this excuse for Steph. But they never wanted to make it for LeBron. It was LeBron chokes, he comes up short, and, you know, and the blame's on him because he's the best player. It's time to start calling out stuff in that same way that people have called out LeBron James for so long. But guess what? Steph, yes, was good last night, but he wasn't great. Just because he had a triple-double doesn't mean he was great. 12 for 30 from the field, 30 shots to get 31 points is not efficient. The way he fouled LeBron there at the end to get him free throws, couldn't play defense. I'm sorry, that's not clutch. Uh, then missed his three to tie the game. Not clutch. And in fact, in playoff games in the final 50 seconds, to for go-ahead or game-time threes, he's 0 for 14. He's not clutch. The pressure is not on him. So we just, I want to hold Curry, who I think is an all-time great, uh, top 12 player of all time. In the same fashion, we hold other players of that same standard, in particular one who, again, is still playing as a LeBron contemporary, and that's LeBron James. 
Uh, I don't want to hear this notion anymore, especially after this series, that Steph is better. When you look at the series, when Steph, without playing LeBron the record head-to-head, without KD, LeBron, LeBron owns him. The KD team, it was overpowered. You look at those graphics with Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson and LeBron as a face of it. It was a joke considering the great team the Warriors had. So I don't want to hear this notion anymore of Steph better than LeBron or Steph getting a pass. He doesn't get a pass. All-time greats don't get passes. You are the leader of a team when you win, or you go down with the ship when it loses. And this dynasty is about to sink. And the captain who sunk it on the other side is old LeBron James, which I love to see. Nothing more fitting than this man officially ending the dynasty because Kawhi really didn't end the dynasty. Yes, he moved uh, KD out of Golden State, but that was more Draymond, but they still won a championship after that. So you still count him as a dynasty because it's four rings in eight years uh, and their playoff appearances. But I think LeBron, LeBron were really to be the one to end the Golden State Warriors and how, how great would that be? Old rivals right there. But let's get to tonight's games. First off, we have the 76ers and Celtics. Key game five in Boston. Uh, they're seven and a half point favorites. I think it's going to be close. And this, I think the Celtics are going to win. But Celtics are going to have to win a close game, which is something this year they've been like 500, like 13 and 14 in doing, including the playoffs, whereas Philadelphia has been really good in one-score games, uh, Boston is going to have to win a close game in the playoffs. It's not going to be a route where you can front-run and just drain three after three. They're going to have to win a close one. Uh, I think they can contain Joel. Just a matter of fact of what James Harden's going to show up. Is it the one who drops 45 or the one that drops 20 on, like, 20 shots? So that's the key there. I think Boston will win. Uh, they're a better team, but again, like I said last series, sometimes they just play lazy and they forget that they're a better team. And it's like, oh, we're it's two two. I do think they're gonna win tonight. Be three two, and it'll essentially be over. I don't see Philadelphia winning two of the next three games at Boston at TD Garden. Uh, I think Jason Tatum's gonna have to step up, play good, and so is the rest of the team. But I like the Boston Celtics uh, to win this game here tonight. And then in the next game, Suns-Nuggets. This one has been a great series. Nuggets first two at home. Phoenix defends their home court. So now it's a best of three going back to Denver. And I like Denver to win this game. Again, uh, I think Denver's going to be motivated. They're back at home where they played really well. They have that elevation on their side, which they're used to. And I think Jokic, who's played great in this series, I think he's been like the best, like top two, three player in his playoffs behind Jimmy Butler, who's been sensational, just had a 50-point uh, game. I think he's going to be motivated after that incident with the Suns owner, Matt Ishbia. Uh, on the sideline and being at home, I don't think Landry Shannon and some of these role players for the Suns will be as good. I think the, the Nuggets role players of Bruce Brown, the KCPs of the world, are going to step up, and I think they're going to perform. 
uh, and get that game five win. Uh, you know, these games have, outside of that first game, the first game, Denver kind of blown them out. And Denver controlled the second game. I thought game three or four could have swung either way. Uh, in the fourth quarter, just swung the Suns' way. Uh, but I do like Denver uh, to win this game tonight behind Jokic, Jamal Murray, and their role players stepping up. So I like Boston and Denver, two teams at home, to get these crucial game five wins, go up 3-2 here, uh, and move on. But we'll see tomorrow how that looks if I was right or not, and I'll talk to you then. So bye, everybody.